0: Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up, go through my two-round 2022 NFL Mock Draft, our reactions to Aaron Rodgers, no news on the Pat McAfee Show, Renner's early favorite prospects in the 2022 NFL Draft, and at the back end of the show, interview with Ohio State wide receiver Chris Olave. Let's get it. McAfee's YouTube channel gets 130, 135,000 live viewers as they all wait. Aaron Rodgers joining the show at 105 Eastern, and he immediately gets ahead of it and says, hey, I'm not making any decision on my future today, wants to leverage the Tuesday show with Pat McAfee to just talk about the insane season that they had. A lot of people disappointed in Aaron Rodgers. He gave more publicity to the cleanse he's doing than actually like anything he's thinking about in terms of like whether or not he'll play football, whether or not he'll play with the Green Bay Packers moving forward, all that
1: stuff. Yeah, that's. I don't know what people expected. Like, I, I didn't think it would be any big breaking news. That's never really been him perform. He's never been like the performative type to want that to like tease something and then say something like. If he's going to break news, it's probably just going to come out silently and by, an Instagram via like, post no, or? Via like <laughs> someone reporting, like Ian Rapport saying Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded, something like that. Like, I don't think now he does a lot of cryptic stuff and is this odd wellness influencer guy, but I never thought that he was about to have this big announcement on the Pat McAfee show. Maybe a time, but I never thought like he would tease it with a post the night before. The post, can we can we break down the post yeah,
0: the before? Because it, it's post. absolutely phenomenal. So starting with the images he chooses, right? It's a him, you know, doing a little shaka behind Matt LaFleur.
1: Well, the very first one is just a picture of a mountain and like a lake, and it says, Gratitude is the wine for the soul. Go on, get drunk. By, that, that is just intro incredible. Second one, picture of him and his Now reportedly ex fiance Shailene Woodley. And he goes on to say how thankful he is for everything and how she showed him unconditional love, which is like something you send in a text to her, not usually in an Instagram post if you guys have broken up, but not really here nor there. And then a lot of love to obviously his teammates. But all around, I mean, I get why people read a lot into it because there was a lot going on, but it's kind of just... You know, Rogers being Rogers.
0: I mean, it was also like, I mean, objectively felt like a farewell type of thing. Yes, right? yes, I mean, sure. it, de- it felt like a farewell type of IG. You know, there was not any ounce of confirmation that he'd be back in Green Bay, any ounce of confirmation that he'd be even playing football in the future. And then obviously, you know, people are him coming on it's like oh people expecting all this stuff i'm not making a decision it's like did you send an ig post out like that where you look like you're you know when you got the the woodley tag and thanking your teammates and thanking all this it's like fucking insane has he ever done that at the end of any season before this like i i don't That's remember fair. this coming I don't up like I, I honestly don't now are you gonna do the aaron Rodgers cleanse
1: we were talking a little bit before we start recording are you going to do his cleanse yes i really want to i'm reading more into it It can last between three and 45 days. I don't think I'm going to do (laughs) the 45-day
0: cleanse? I don't think I'm
1: doing the 45-day cleanse, but it involves cleansing using powders, pastes, or heated medicinal plants, forced vomiting or purging. No way. Massage using warm oils, detoxification of the blood, also known as bloodletting, and then nasal clearance is all that can go into this cleanse. Nasal clearance is the only thing I'm on board with, but I, the bloodletting feel- seems a little intense. I'll just Dude, say that. Dude, the vomiting—he's just gonna force purge. I'm fine with. Okay, no, don't. I'm, I'm fine with like personally doing that. I don't want to cut myself open. It's like the I, I can make myself puke. I've done that before, not for like any sinister reasons. I ate a lot and didn't want to be that full, but the rest is the rest is a little. <sighs> I need him oh. to document this on TikTok. I, we've talked a little bit
0: off air about TikTok and the trends that like where people go through the, like, their everyday routine. They're like, wake up at 4 a.m., make myself some oatmeal, go to the yeah. work, do emails. We need Aaron Rodgers to do that for 45 days consecutively on this cleanse of bloodletting, nasal cleansing, throwing up. Like that's what we need. Should that's that the, be my first? If you TikTok? want good content, that's the content we need.
1: Here's me doing the Ayurveda cleanse. That's my first TikTok, the Aaron Rodgers Ayurveda cleanse. I'll do it.
0: According Way to Ari Mayrov, Ari Merov, a, a reporter here at PFF, uh, he's watching the Pat McAfee show right now. Aaron Rodgers said he posted the photo last night because it's the, one of his favorites from the 2021 season says He appreciated Devontae and Randall for holding a spot for me when he missed the Chiefs game due to COVID. When I got the photo, I cried. That's what Aaron Rodgers said. This mm. guy's incredible, man. He's a content machine, and I respect him for it. The other part of the catch and early buzz we got the four TV set up. It's live, it's ready to rock and roll, and it was pretty glorious. It's not 100% even, which is a concern, but you know, because like lining up four fucking TVs is actually really difficult. And, um, When you turn them all on, though, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you kind of don't even notice. We'll have to get some picks out to the crew on the YouTube here eventually, but let's get off this Catching Only Buzz and dive into what everyone probably came to the show for. It's Aaron Rodgers' decision. No, my latest two-round NFL mock draft. I don't want to go pick by pick here. I highlighted some picks in the doc for you, Mike, that I want to discuss specifically. If you have have more picks beyond that, we can definitely go over it. But where I want to start, honestly, is number nine overall because that's where a lot of people – Got really upset with my mock drafts. I had Aiden Hutchinson going one, Kayvon Thibodeau going two. I still stand by him being a number two overall, pl- I mean, a number two type of player in this pro- in this class. Iki Aquano at three, Derek Stingley at four. Giants go Evan Neal and George Karlasis at five and seven. Panthers grab Charles Cross. Kyle Hamilton slips to eight, and then at nine, I have the Green Bay Packers trading Aaron Rodgers post forty five day cleanse for. This is what they get in return. 2022 first round pick, 2023 first round pick a 2022 second-round pick, and a 2022 third-round pick in exchange for Aaron Rodgers. The Packers take on $26.8 million um, in dead cap space, and the Broncos inherit just a one-year $26.9 million contract from the Green Bay Packers. It would be an insane move that I will come out and say this. I want to say this. I don't advocate the Green Bay Packers doing. right. Like If you can build up this relationship, if you can join in his cleanse to a point where he's willing to come back, then you don't trade him. Right? Right? But if he is adamant about not playing in Green Bay any further, you can't just let him walk. You can't just let him you know, retire or whatever it may be. Oh, yeah. You have to like try and get any resource you can back from him. And obviously, that would, in this case, would be two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick, and obviously offloading some of that contract. This is not me saying the Packers should trade Aaron Rodgers. It's saying if they have to, if he forces their hand and he is adamant about not playing in Green Bay, this, in my opinion, would be an ideal landing spot for him in Denver, and also just an ideal return for Green Bay. Could they get another first-round pick for the 2 time reigning MVP? Sure, but he's also like, Older, right? This isn't, you know, you're getting a guy that is later in his year. So, uh, I but do, he does do a cleanse. He keeps himself healthy. I know. I, I, I don't know. think Big Ben's going on any cleansing. Anytime the soon. cleanses are a factor. The cleanses are a factor. Your reaction to not, don't, obviously Green Bay should not trade Aaron Rodgers if they can keep him. But if they have to, right, if they're in this situation where Green, Aaron Rodgers is not, is adamant about not playing for Green Bay, is this not one of the better trade options they have?
1: Oh, it is. I mean, th- that's why everyone... And their mother is like Denver Broncos. She's the the stars aligning like that's who keeps getting rumored to be the favorites to land Aaron Rodgers for good reason. But I, like you said if you can keep Aaron Rodgers, do it. I push back on that. I do think there is an argument to be made. And now they keep Aaron Rodgers, keep Devontae Adams, they would be NFC North favorites. But I do think there is an argument to be made that like if you can get the hall you proposed here, 2022 first, second, third, and a 2023 first, that that sets you up a lot, lot better long-term. And yeah, Rogers, like I said, takes care of himself. You can expect, at his age, probably three more seasons of productive football. Like, that would probably be with, you know, today's... Medicine, healthy, whatever. Like <laughs> how much like of today's medicine is
0: he taking? <laughs>
1: I'm saying like elongated careers. I think you can expect versus 40 years ago when dudes were smoking a halftime. So like you could expect guys to play a little bit longer. But even past 40, I think is you're really pushing father time. Like Brady is still going to be an anomaly for quite some time to come. So at that point, you do have to think about the future. This is why you drafted Jordan Love. But who had the report? It was I believe Ben Albright said. No one would trade for anything other than a day three pick for Jordan Love at this point. Yeah. That it is known that the Packers have no faith in Jordan Love, which, well, not surprised because that, that's the other
0: part of this too, where I don't understand. Like, I got a lot of backlash from Green Bay Packers fans over this trade or suggesting that this trade is possible when, like, your own organization, the own front office, was confident that they'd be moving on from Aaron Rodgers in the near future. It's why they drafted Jordan Love at the back end of the first round. Traded it up to draft Jordan Love in the back end of the first round. You don't have round. to
1: keep saying trade it up. They
0: do. They did. We get that. They we did. know they did. The front office. I don't need to office. be reminded. No, I know. Oh, I know. The front office, who's more connected to Aaron Rodgers than anyone, was like, we're probably going to move on from Aaron Rodgers soon. And now he's played a lot better and like all that stuff has like changed things for them. But if he wants out, he'll be out. And if they can get this kind of return for him, I think they should. I have them taking PFF's wide receiver one, my wide receiver one in this class, Drake London, the USC wide receiver at nine, which would be so unfortunate for the Jets because I think the Jets want Drake London at 10. I wouldn't be surprised if they're locking into Drake London at 10. I think he makes a ton of sense for that offense. But Green Bay swoops in, they grab Drake London, and it's going to be the Jordan Love, Drake London show. And I have them taking, obviously, a handful of other players in this mock draft with the picks that they picked up. But this is... Not necessarily worst-case scenario. Worst-case scenario would be he retiring, right? If Aaron Rodgers just retired on the Pat McAfee show, the Packers would be absolutely screwed. You yeah. can't trade for him. You still owe him a ton of money, and you just he just compl- – it was like a middle finger to Green yeah. Bay on his way out. But instead, there's probably an opportunity for him either to come back or him to ask to be traded. And if he asks to be traded, this is yeah. a situation I can get behind.
1: I, I I'll just say the odds of him retiring after – the Shaylin Woodley after breaking up Shailen Woodley seems very low. You wow, would think it interesting analysis. The opposite, if like if they were for sure getting married, it was like going to have a ceremony this offseason. Then possibly, then like maybe he's eye towards the future, whatever things outside of football. But now that he is single, and obviously living his best life after this cleanse, he. he probably chomping at the bit to get back there and play some ball. So he ain't retiring. I'm it doesn't look like his feelings. I don't want to read into the
0: tea leaves too much here, but it doesn't look like his feelings for Shannon will they have completely passed. He said he will still love her and he's still always grateful
1: for her. I don't think that that flame can't be rekindled. Yeah, that part of the the post was that was something. That's like I said, you you don't post that to the world. Like if if you're just if you're not Aaron Rodgers, you know, if you're not famous, you're a buddy of your a guy you knew in high school posting that at 38 years old. You're, you're like, this guy's down violently. Down horrendous. This guy is like going through it, still <laughs> probably like has her location saved and is staring at that. Stop, stop. Don't I'm even hint at that. It could be true. It could be true. But I, I'm going to say, it, if that's your buddy posting that on IG, you're worried about him. You're worried about them a lot. That's a fact. That's a fact. I will say this though, it does matter
0: that they're famous, right? Shailene yes. Woodley's famous. Big Aaron Rodgers is famous. It's a massive, massive difference. I think Shailene Woodley. I mean, in celebrity world, it could be viewed as like a sign of respect. You know, like you do that, you publicly yeah. have some of these comments out because like everyone's gonna throw rumors at you. You know, everyone's gonna say Aaron Rodgers didn't like her because she didn't like football and all that shit. You were That's even saying said some that. of that shit. But like, You're if just you can come out and be public, if you can come out and be public about, you know. Your appreciation for her i think that does mean a lot to her so uh, you good stuff on aaron Rodgers. all right let's move to the next pick that i wanted to highlight in this one at 10 i had the jets taking the next best receiver available garrett wilson in my opinion there at 10 and then seattle here comes the big one no one liked this trade seattle seahawks trade with washington commanders they send russell wilson in exchange for a 2022 first round pick a 2023 first round pick and a 2022 second round pick the seahawks take on 26 million dollars in dead money but the commanders inherit a two-year 51 million dollar contract for russell wilson let's start with the commander side we've said ad nauseum that the washington commanders are not a team that is a quarterback on a rookie contract away from being super bowl competitive they need someone who can win with this roster now win with the pieces they have now Mm -hmm. with a lot of the young talent they have terry mclaurin antonio gibson chase young montez sweat etc it's obvious if they can get a deal done like this where it's two first-round picks and a second-round pick to get Russell Wilson, they should do it. For Seattle, I am, again, not advocating that they trade Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a top-10 quarterback, top-8 quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. However, if the rumors you're seeing are true and Russell Wilson does not want to play in Seattle – or the front office is dissatisfied with Seattle, this is one of the ideal situations. Getting the number 11 overall pick to start your quarterback search or your quarterback of the future search now and getting an additional first round pick in 2023 in addition to that 2022 second round pick is an ideal situation if you are forced or parties get to a point where they are trading Russell Wilson. If I was GM, I'd be doing everything I can to not trade Russell Wilson. You have a burden in the hand. You have a franchise quarterback, but it could get to a point where you know their hands are tied, and they and that the relationship is so soured between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson or whoever it may be that they do have to move on from him.
1: Yeah, it's fairly clear that Russell would rather play elsewhere. Now, you can you you have no obligation. He's on a contract two more years. You have no obligation to move him. And to me, it seems like they don't want to move him, considering, like I said, the Pete Carroll thing. The oldest coach in the NFL is not about to go through a complete reset at the quarterback position to try to get back to winning a Super Bowl. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I will say for Russell Wilson, two first and a second, I think that's light compensation wise. I think it's going to have to take more than that because of that last figure here. And the big thing to sort of remember when a trade happens is that the team that is trading him away. So the sales, in this situation, they have to take on that entire bonus that they gave him mm-hmm. at the beginning of the contract that the prorated bonus that was going to be over whatever the rest of his deal was. They have to eat that cap hit this year. Whereas the team he's going to, Commanders in this scenario, don't have to take on any of that bonus, so it's purely just salary. So two years, fifty-one million, is an absolute steal. Steal, steal. That's why, like, you're. That's why. That's why teams like the Colts, teams like the Rams, make these moves because that actually gives them cap relief to get a Matt Stafford. Mm-hmm. You know, three firsts for Matt Stafford or whatever it was. That to me is going to be kind of probably the what they're going to have to get back for Russell Wilson is more than two firsts and a second because of, like, I said how favorable it is once he goes to your roster. Two years, $51 million is nothing for a Russell Wilson. I mean, you throw an additional first-rounder on there,
0: right, or another second-rounder, whatever like that, it may yeah. be. Like, I still think it's worth it for both sides. I still, Again, I-, I think it's worth it for both sides yeah. to move in that direction if Russell Wilson, like Aaron Rodgers, is adamant about not playing in Seattle. I have the Seattle Seahawks with that pick, taking Sam Howell, PFF's QB1 in this class. I know he's the 20th-ranked player, and there's other better talents at different positions respective to their position. I still think that Seattle if they move on from Russell Wilson, they're not in a position like Green Bay where they have this, you know, supposed quarterback of the future that they're hoping that develops into it, right? They need to start that search and I think yeah. starting with Sam Howell even if it doesn't pan out, you have other capital to throw at this search if you do get that extra first round pick, second round picks, etc. Um other picks I wanted to highlight in this. I know a lot of the focus is on quarterbacks, but I really like these two fits specifically for cornerback and I got a lot of flack for one going ahead or the other Minnesota Vikings grabbing Trent McDuffie from Washington, who's a top 10 player on PFS draft board, and the Mod Gardner of Cincinnati going up 14 to the Baltimore Ravens. Everyone's saying, How in the hell? I got multiple DMs, multiple replies. How in the hell do you have a Mod Gardner going after Trent McDuffie? Am I stupid to think McDuffie is a better fit for what the Minnesota Vikings want to do defensively than what the Baltimore Ravens want to do? The Ravens are a better fit for a Mod Gardner services. It's not as simple as take the second best corner if you want a corner over the third best, like scheme. Scheme matters when you are taking defensive backs, safeties and cornerbacks so much that even if you think Amad Gardner is a better prospect, if he doesn't fit into the type of defense you want to run and how much you want to run single coverage concepts and and cover three and cover one, you will be leaning in another direction, especially if the player is Trent McDuffie, another really
1: talented cornerback in this class. Yeah. So Vikings brought over Adonatel to be there. Do you see it? I do agree. They're better scheme fits, but also like I don't think it's egregious to say McDuffie's a better corner than Mud Gardner. And yeah, I get that Gardner, like they're both great prospects. Don't get me wrong, but we have the PFF board has Trent McDuffie higher. I don't think we're alone in that either, in having Trent McDuffie higher than Sauce Gardner. I think, uh, who's the other one? Lance Zierline is very high on Trent McDuffie. He's the seventh player overall in Lance Zierlein's ratings. Now, he doesn't do a board, the NFL.com profiles, but he gives a grade and he has a. He has the seventh highest grade. Um, still has Sauce higher, but they are neck and neck on his board. Fifth for Sauce, seventh for him. So it's really not that big of a difference in my eyes. Before we continue to
0: press through this 2022 NFL Mock Draft 2 rounder, a couple things I want to highlight. One, we've seen the YouTube comments. I'm banging the table too much, and it's fucking up the mic. I'm going to make sure I stop banging the table. Two, shout out to Lime Fred. Key Lime Fred, who's been a consistent member of the Speak Pipe segment on our Mailbag episodes, sent us hats. He said you'd be surprised to find out how easy it is to find hats with limes on them. So I got you. Key Lime Fred got us a couple hats with limes on them. I don't know when we'll wear them, but we'll wear them eventually. And thirdly, Presenting sponsor of this podcast is All22. Our friends at All22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. All22 uses PFF grades as one of its main score components and tests your ability to build a 53-man roster, offensive line included. The game is somewhat simple, right? You are building a roster and scoring points off of PFF grade and production in that area, those production-focused grades, than you are yards, touchdowns, receptions, et cetera. If your receiver gets open deep and a quarterback completely overthrows him, he's going to receive more positive grades than he is if, you know... um, he's dropped or that catch is dropped. Whereas in fantasy football, that incompletion is graded the same or scored the same. If you ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office to enjoy, if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out all 22, join the waitlist on all dash all-22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All-22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow All-22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All-22. Less fantasy, more football. More picks that I liked in this one. LA Chargers. I think every mock draft I write, Mike, is going to have the LA Chargers taking Jameson Williams. Of Alabama. I mm-hmm. really like that. Even, and I even said in my analysis that regardless of whether they sign back Mike Williams, I think it makes sense to bring in Jameson Williams. Because I think Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jameson Williams, we talked a ton about getting multiple offensive playmakers. Some people said, well, then you're giving up on Josh Palmer. It's not giving up on Josh Palmer, it's trying to upgrade your receiving core to a point where you're competitive with some of the best receiving cores in the NFL. I think Jamison Williams, if they – I think it's likely, I was talking to some reporters here at PFF, that Mike Williams does test the market. But if he doesn't and they do bring him back, I still think receiver, especially if Jameson Williams is available at 17, is a super solid option for them.
1: Yes. I mean, we've talked about that one a lot. That one. I I, I do agree that what's winning around the NFL today is playmaker's galore. Yeah. And like, so – not a lot of teams I would hate drafting a wide receiver. I'll just say that. <laughs> at eighteen,
0: quarterback comes off the board. Malik Willis goes to New Orleans Saints. We've said that they're a team in need of you know a quarterback that can come in and maybe take a redshirt here behind Jameis. I think if Malik Willis is available at eighteen, which a lot of people don't think he will, He's not be. he should. It should be a sprint the card in situation. I had him falling to eighteen. The next big quarterback move was the Las Vegas Raiders trading Derek Carr to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now hear me out calm down Raiders fans they're, they're upset Steelers are all moving Steelers send 2022 first round pick 2023 first round pick and a third for Derek Carr some people in Raiders camp would say oh my gosh they would never send that much Derek Carr's not worth it but I do think Josh McDaniels and the new GM coming over from the Patriots are interested in Derek Carr like Derek Carr and feel that they can win with him so you'd have to be an offer that they can't necessarily refuse right I think it's become increasingly unlikely that they move on from Derek Carr once Josh McDaniels was hired because it's been known that Josh McDaniels likes Derek Carr and believes he can win with him in the offense but you can think that all day long if the Steelers show up and say we'll give you two first round picks and a third for him holy shit you're going to move on from him I think I think that's an offer that they honestly can't refuse and some people in Steelers camp saying are you kidding me two first round picks for Derek Carr yeah, two first round picks for Derek Carr. That's a quarterback that's a fringe top twelve, top, you know, top ten player at his position that can win with the roster you have now. The Raiders don't have the caliber roster the Steelers have. Their offensive line is a push, right? The Raiders' offensive line isn't great. Steelers isn't easier, but I take the Steelers' defense. I take the Steelers' secondary, the receiving core, all that stuff over what the Las Vegas Raiders have. So they should maximize this window they have with T.J. Watt and the and the in the talent that they have, the receiving core with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. While the Raiders should look to, if given an opportunity like this, in my opinion, a can't refuse opportunity like this two first round picks and a third for Derek Carr they should look to do it and start to reset at that position I have them taking Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati someone I know you said is probably the most pro
1: ready of the quarterbacks in this class I think so two first and a third I think if anyone says no there's the Raiders I don't think the Raiders would give up Carr for two first and a third really I don't think they would I think they want Derek Carr more than that that's insane yeah
0: you think the Raiders
1: would keep Derek Carr for two firsts and a third? Yeah, because, I mean, look at it. If you're the Steelers, it's pick 20. That's one of the firsts. Next year is going to be l- later than that, most likely. It's the Steelers. It's a good roster, and you just gave them a much bigger upgrade at quarterback. So pick another one in the 20s. And then a third this year. That's not – I mean, that's so- – a good return you're not getting a quarterback though if you're the Raiders I mean you, you might get a quarterback with your pick because you might stink next year but you're not getting a quarterback with one of the Steelers pick so I don't know I don't think it's that great of a return for a quarterback like Derek Carr I have them taking Desmond Ritter here though Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati yeah. at 20
0: overall him coming in as this start for their search for a new quarterback on a roster that's admittedly not good right like admittedly yeah. not ready to compete without a top Six to eight quarterback. And that's just what they don't have in Derek Carr.
1: And I think if they make that move, they just would roll with Marks Mariota, right? Like they would probably try to keep him and roll with that. Instead of draft, I
0: I think they bring. I think they make it a competition. I think bringing in Desmond Ritter to compete with Marcus Mariota, with 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 just how this quarterback class is stacking up, right? If you can get a Desmond Ritter at twenty, I do think that it makes sense. If you're looking to move on from Derek Carr in this situation, I think Derek. I also think Desmond Ritter and Josh McDaniels' offense could have success early on. Like I honestly do, especially if they leverage the other picks that they're getting to build up this team that desperately needs help, needs upgrades along the offensive line, upgrades at receiver, upgrades at linebacker, upgrades at corner, safety. Like this roster is bad. So bad. Well,
1: that's why I'm like, why draft quarterback for this roster? Like, it's not really doing you much, especially at 20, when it's not going to be a good quarterback, you know. Some people like Desmond Ritter.
0: Last pick of the first round I was going to highlight here, and then we'll get to the second round. I have Matt Corral of Ole Miss going to the Detroit Lions. You have kind of talked me into this camp of it's a sunk cost with Jerichoff. Grabbing quarterback and taking advantage of that fifth-year option and playing him for a 17-game season like Matt Corral, even if he wins you one game put you in a, such a better position to compete for a Super Bowl in future years than it does to watch Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. You know, probably, if I had to guess, you know, where would you put the line? If if you were guaranteed Jared Goff starts all 17 games for the Detroit Lions in 2022, what would the line be for you and how many wins they'd get? Uh, next year? Six and a half. Six and a half, right? And say he gets six or seven or eight, and you find yourself in this quarterback purgatory with a roster that's not ready to compete, and, and not in a position to take a swing on one of the top-end 2023 quarterbacks that we expect to be available. I think getting Corral out there and letting him sink or swim. Like yeah. If he's awful, you're in a position to pick a quarterback at the top of the draft next year. If he's great, it's a sign that you can build around him and you continue to add, you know, add support around him, and especially if you have a first-round pick at number two and a first-round pick at 32. No one is going to be arguing that the Detroit Lions should take Sam Howell or Malik Willis at number two overall. No one. They're going to be locking into Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, or whoever it may be. I do think, though, at 32, with the fifth-year option and knowing that you get that, that Matt Corral or a quarterback that they like if he's available could yeah. be an option for them. 39, we've not done a ton of second-round mock Let's analysis. Second round. This is, in my opinion, an absolute dream scenario for the Chicago Bears. Dream scenario. Mm-hmm. If Zion Johnson, the interior offensive lineman for Boston College, falls to them all the way at 39, I think there's a very... Strong chance he could go at 31, the Cincinnati Bengals, right? I was
1: going to say 39 seems like a pipe dream with just who's in front of them. You got the Jets picking twice in front of them. You got the Giants picking right in front of them. You got the Bengals picking right in front of them. A lot of those teams, and even the Jaguars picking right in front of them, like a lot of those teams would need a guard. This is TBD via free agency, but yeah.
0: A massive pipe dream for the Chicago Bears, but I do think this dream scenario would be. As I were hinting at, fantastic yeah. for them. So Zion Johnson could come in and start for them right away and be an upgrade for them, especially with James Daniels uh, expected to leave via free agency. Uh, I think that's what the reports are right now. What is your opinion of my pick for the Falcons at 40? I think I go back and forth on whether I like this pick or hate this pick. I had them dating Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh, who some Mm -hmm. people believe he's the number one quarterback in this class. I think the range of outcomes of where he goes will be really dependent on the combine and and, and different things that have to play out in this pre-draft process. Just say his hand size. Just say his hand size. His hand size. His hand size. (laughs) Just say how big his hands are. The Atlanta Falcons um, are committed to Mike Ryan. I mean, he's got one of the biggest cap hits of any player in the NFL next year. But if Kenny Pickett is available at 40 or say Sam Howell's available at 40 or Corral's available at 40 and they are high on him as a prospect relative to that draft slot, I do think they're not in a position to turn down quarterback talent knowing that Matt Ryan is at the tail end of his career.
1: Yeah, I really can't make heads or tails of where Kenny Pickett's going to end up draft-wise because he does some things that like the report that he was – you know, the best on the whiteboard of anyone, some scout to, of st- any of the quarterback scouts talk to at the Senior Bowl. Like that, obviously a big plus in terms of translating to the NFL. But then the way he plays quarterback at Pittsburgh, you just see so few, like, high-end plays. Like, he can operate an offense, but it's not, like, how many throws did he have? Or, like, plays outside the pocket with his arm that were, like, Wow. They, they really made you stop in your tracks and be like, that's an NFL caliber. He doesn't have a lot. And he's on the older side, and he has small hands. And some teams are going to care about small hands, but other teams might not give a shit. And it's like there's just a lot. He's just profiles all over the map, and that's why he's lower on the PFF draft board. But all it takes is one. And so the Atlanta Falcons, I don't hate using that pick 40 on one of these quarterbacks in this class, but – yeah, I just don't know if Kenny Pickett's gonna be there or where he is going to come off the board. Someone to break up the two round mock draft has typed out
0: what the Pancha Karma cleanses that Aaron Rodgers is oh, it's doing. Pancha
1: Karma, not
0: okay. It's the Pancha Karma cleanse. It's three days of ghee therapy where you consume ghee until you evacuate at both ends. Nice. Ghee is like a butter, yeah. I believe. Two, you do one day of thera- it's called therapeutic vomiting. There we go. That's what I was saying. Three is one day of laxative therapy. Okay. I do that at fall already. You do? <laughs> no. Four, it's three days of herb drops in the nose. What herbs I'd like to fucking know. Five, this is probably my favorite. Many days, not not one day, not three days, many days of enemas,
1: which is- I've done a few enemas in my day. Why? Uh, I had hernia surgery and I had to get an enema to get- to evacuate and then it's yoga ends. it's yoga and meditation
0: throughout i mean this is essentially just like vomiting and pooping for
2: 10 just, days
1: yeah i mean that's that's a literal cleanse that's you little, know that, yeah that's literally you're a getting rid of anything in your body at that point so that's interesting I I mean, mean, it kind of makes sense now the timing of the Shailene Woodley stuff. Like, do you want to be around for that? That's
0: going to be aggressive. That's an aggressive, like, 10, 15-day stretch. Aaron Rodgers is just, like, throwing up and shitting all 15, 20 days. You kind of need to take a break at that point, you know? You kind of need to. Unless Woodley's doing it, too. Who knows? All right. The next part of this two-round mock draft, um, there's a run on edge talent, and I think this is going to be really good value for the teams that are picking in these slots. Yeah. I have DeMarvin Leal of Texas A&M going to Green Bay at 41, Seattle getting Arnold Abichetti of Penn State at 42, Minnesota getting Boye Mafia of Minnesota at 44, Miami, myJ Sanders, Cincinnati, uh, Indianapolis Colts – Or no, sorry, those are the four – teams I have and I think even Drake Jackson comes off the board in that range as well I think there's going to be a lot like a cluster of edge guys that come off the board in this 40 to 50 range 40 to 55 range that where you're going to get a lot of value because a lot of these guys have the size like there is not a lot of Small dudes in this edge class, right? Like Maje, Boyer, Arnold, and DeMarvin, all have like requisite size to like play in the NFL yeah. early, and I think that's a big reason why this edge class has been tagged as deep and
1: and have a lot of talent in the end of day two. Yeah, you have seven guys here going off the board from top of day, to, top of the second round to pick fifty-seven on the edge, and that's kind of how I see it. I, I do think you'll get a lot of guys at the early end of the second round because, for whatever reason, whether it's like I know not a high-level athlete. Same with Kingsley and Eggbury. Um, Nick Benito's maybe a little undersized. Drake Jackson not super productive and skinny and not terribly powerful. Like all have like their knocks, but all have winning combinations. All have something to them that like they can still win off the edge. So I do think that that's a strong suit of this class. It's going to be the edge sort of talent there at the top of day two
0: at 48 overall this one is another one similar to the kenny pickett pick to the atlanta falcons where i go back and forth on i don't know if like it's even a good decision with the capital that they have but the indianapolis colts grabbing quarterback carson strong at nevada yeah like like do do they just say no we're committed to carson wentz we're spending every single draft pick and every single free agency dollar to try and like you know shoot the moon with him again even though it obviously didn't Mm -hmm. pan out and chris ballard has already said how you know he's already kind of expressed dissatisfaction in the move that they made or do they start to inch toward you know new quarterback a new quarterback or a new answer at that
1: position that's obviously what i have here with them taking carson strong at 48 strong's the one guy who i like, i think a lot of these guys are going to end up getting pushed up but again by the time the dust settles there's still only going to be a handful of spots like there won't we we're mocking right now like four of these guys going on in the first round. It's all said and done. I don't know if there's going to be that many available places for all these guys to end up. So I do think you see some guys fall, and I think Carson Strong is going to be one of the names that draft day falls. Yeah, I, between the knee injury, between him looking pretty rough at the senior bowl not having the best week of practice by any means, I think he probably comes off the board late day two, if even day three, and could even get jumped by Bailey Zappi in the draft. Wow, that's yep. impressive. I think that's the first time I've heard anyone say that. Bailey Zappi going ahead of Strong. I could see it, honestly. It's just the knee injury, teams just don't. Team doctors will flag an injury, and that's that. If they if they say that, it's off the board, a lot of teams. The conservative with injuries, rightfully so. Um, it's a physical game. You can't draft a guy who never plays for you. That was Trent Baalke's MO in San Francisco with all of his draft picks, with a lot of his draft picks. He didn't care about the injury risks and, well, a lot of those guys never ended up, you know, fully recovering. So that's something that I think a lot of teams will end up shying away from, especially when you're not a top, top prospect, especially when you are yourself a fringe sort of top 50 guy to begin with. That's just what ends up happening.
0: Back end of the second round here, I had a run on defensive backs I kind of wanted to speak to, where I do think that you're going to get a lot of value in the back end of the second round if these guys do fall this far but Jaquan Brisker, safety, Penn State going to the Eagles at 51, who I do think have a need at safety Pittsburgh Steelers, Grant, Kyler Gordon cornerback of Washington, I don't know, he might be a top 50 player for me, if he gets at 52 I think that's a, a great situation for Pittsburgh, and then 53 Lewis Seen of, of Georgia, the safety going to the New England Patriots, that's back to back to back, I think there is some, there's some defensive back talent that could be available, specifically at safety, Brisker and Seen, mm-hmm. falling to that like 45 to 55 range where I feel really comfortable, taking him off the or really comfortable in the value and honestly feel that it could be, you know, you're getting starters at those positions.
1: Yeah, this is a weird cornerback class because I kind of like the top. Like the three guys we've talked about a lot at the top I really like. And then Andrew Booth's not terribly far off. Like he's still a first-round prospect in his own right. But I'm trying to find guys who I like on day two, and there's just not a lot, man. Like there's not a lot of guys who I'm really like, that's still a top 100 guy, cornerback position. Kyle Gordon, definitely one of them. But one of the few, like we've talked about, the edge class has a ton. that will come off the board in the second round. How many corners do you even have coming off the board here in the second round? One? Not a lot. Two. Roger McCreary, Kyler Gordon. If you count Jalen
0: Petrie as a slot corner, maybe.
1: No. I mean, I wouldn't even call that a corner. That's two corners coming off the board in the second round, which is just light for a position.
0: Last thing here, it's a receiver run. George Pickens at 55, the Arizona Cardinals 59, Tampa Bay Buccaneers grab Justin Ross, and then have the Kansas City Chiefs grabbing Jalen Tolbert of South Alabama at 62. This is another area where I do think that George Pickens, the Arizona Cardinals at 55, could be a value with what they tried to do with A.J. Green last year. Tampa Bay could be losing Chris Godwin this, this, this offseason. They still need to continue to have an embarrassment of riches, riches there. They don't have Antonio Brown coming back either. And then the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't have them going receiver in the first round, but if Jalen Tolbert's there at 62, I like that pick a lot as well.
1: Yeah. Those are three guys who all have like the size, athleticism. These aren't the second-round corners this year compared to last year where we said second round is going to be a lot of gadget players like Rondale Moore, um, Tutu Atwell, Mm -hmm. Dwayne Eskridge. Even Elijah Moore to a Like those, those were four second-round wide receivers who were all not outside wide receivers. Mm-hmm. This year, I think you could see all those guys, all the guys who are coming off the board in the second round, be these outside, prototypical size type of guys that you know have that quote-unquote upside of being your X or your Z wide receiver in your offense. I still can't believe George Pickens came out this year, man. I get that, you know put on good tape as a freshman and whatnot, but this closer close to move to an ACL where you barely played and, yeah, he had one nice catch, but he still didn't look like himself, was this guy could have been like a top, he's top 15 type guy. Like he's that type of wide receiver, but I, I don't think anyone's touching him in the first round, maybe even top 50 picks at this point.
0: Before we get to your favorite picks, your favorite guys in this draft relative to the consensus right now, big sponsor of the podcast western southern tailgate podcast is sponsored by western southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves western southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at western southern.com slash pff so you looked at where other people view the class, right? The consensus of the class um, and then compare it to, it to where you have guys on your big board yeah. to highlight some favorites in this class. <laughs> Early favorites, combine can change a lot of things, etc.
1: But yeah, these guys are the the players we covet at PFF that we we would draft, we we're front-off. So those who grade well, preferably for multiple years, like have already shown prolific at, in a role, and then have the requisite tools. They may not be high-level athletes, but they have more than enough athleticism in some way, shape, or form. So that's kind of the baseline. That's kind of the genesis behind guys we feel confident in, and that we'll, we'll end up being higher than in consensus. And so we'll just go through position by position here. Did not include a quarterback because I don't think a quarterback is really one in this class. If I did have to say one, obviously it'd be Sam Howell, who's quarterback, won the PFF draft board. But again, P- QB one PFF draft board is so low this year that it's like we're not we're not really going to bat for any of these dudes. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. I, you see the rankings get put out. I say I tweet out that Desmond Ritter is like pro ready and get like everyone's like, oh, Mike loves Desmond Ritter. I'm like, no, it's just like I have a high bar for pro readiness and a lot of these guys are not that. So like, and it's not, it doesn't even mean pro readiness isn't always a good thing. Like Mac Jones was pro ready last year. Daniel Jones was pro ready. They said that coming out and it's like pro readiness just means you can be thrown into the fire and not. Take does not look like Nathan Peterman, basically, um, which not everyone is, but it's also not a bad thing. Some guys need that year to adjust, and acclimate, and then they get up speed, and then they're great. So don't don't read too much into that. That's just ancillary analysis, basically, not actually a full take on how good a guy is. But to running back position now, Damian Pierce, the Florida running back, highest rushing grade in the country last year, never really never started for Florida. It was a Split time type of guy, but I fully expect him to have a good combine, not probably not going to test great in the 40. I don't think he's that kind of guy, but the jumps is gonna be fantastic. He's already checked in at the senior bowl five, nine, 220 which is like lab size for a running back in terms of just translating to the NFL and breaking tackles. He had the highest force miss tackle rate in the country this past season. Good hands out of the backfield. Like, there's a lot to like about him, except for he just probably is not the most – probably is not going to have the best long speed in the class. But, like, his long speed's no worse than Najee Harris' was last year. Probably even better than when Najee Harris What about
0: Harris was comparing him year. to Javante Williams? Javante Williams also – That's
1: more long. of a similar – yeah, that's more of a similar size type of back. Um, he's even a little bigger. And he's, like – he was a freaksless guy for being, like, 6% body fat at that size. Like, he – there's a lot to like about him. He had the best – one of the best reps at the Senior Bowl, too, in pass protection. He is NFL-ready in that regard, which is a reason a lot of running backs you know don't end up seeing the field at the NFL level. So now 74th in the PFF draft board is like, whatever. Don't look at the PFF draft board to see our takes on running backs and how good we think they will be because that's going to be skewed. But RB3 in this class, behind Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, that's, that's good company. It's good company for him. Jack L- Lichtenstein,
0: who is a Duke University uh, – who graduates in 2022 from Duke University has a consensus board shiny app that I've been leveraging you are by far the highest on Damian Pierce than anyone is at 74 um other other Leverage outlets have him more in the 130 to 220 range he's also two 220 is wrong uh, <laughs> I'll just say that right now he's uh he's also one of the prospects that have the bigger st- bigger standard deviations right he's like 50 in the standard deviation a lot of people wide scale right? some people don't even have him ranked right some that's people that's probably why yeah. yeah some people don't even have him ranked so Demian Pierce he's gonna be your guy at least that's where the consensus is now obviously a lot will change as more people yeah. listen to other scouts and talk to people like to- that's the other thing too people are like how can boards change how can draft boards change um, you know, after all the games are played? Tom and Jay talked to a few people at the scene the ball and dropped Kayvon Thibodeau from number one to number seven. Like, you – like, that's – that. Yeah. I mean, you dropped him from two to four. I'm not saying it's as big of a jump, but, like, when you hear other people well, – Well, I dropped him two outcome, to
1: four because of the, the weird interviews. You get. <laughs> Honestly, well, like, those I, are scary.
0: Whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. it may be. Like, yeah. draft boards will – I think you can make that comment, but also like draft boards will change with how people talk to people. When people talk to NFL evaluators, when people go to the combine, you're going to learn a lot about this class. People are gonna rocket up boards, people are gonna fall down boards. And it's not all gonna be because of their athletic tests or any of that. It's gonna be finding out what they're like in the interview process. It's finding out um, you know, how NFL evaluators compare them in the class and you will see a lot of analysts, you know, attach themselves to the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak. And when they hear an NFL evaluator say, he's not a first round player, a guy that's been a scout in the NFL for like 30 years, it's going to lead to, you know, some
1: reevaluation. That's honestly what's going to happen. So I wouldn't be surprised if... But that's also the other thing. Like, reevaluation does exist. There is... You don't... I try to watch as much tape as humanly possible on these guys, but you're not watching every single snap of every single guy. And so to find new information, or basically be told like, hey higher on this guy, you go back and watch different stuff than you had watched before, and then maybe it changed your mind. That's, like, a real thing that happened. So to say, you know, how does the board change after a game's been played? I, I don't have time to watch all the stuff before mm-hmm. you put out a board. Like, you watch as much as a guy as you can, get your opinion on a guy, but then there's still probably tape to watch. You could still go back a year to watch tape. Like, there's still... That's still a thing that exists that you can do to move a board. Sorry that... I haven't watched every single snap of every single college player. But that's the goal. Hopefully I will by draft time.
0: Next player on your list is Sky Moore before you kind of dive into like why he's your guy. He's the 38th ranked player on your draft board. No other outlet has him higher than 90. He mm-hmm. is also, you know, in the 94 for that's ESPN, right. 94 for the Draft Network, 233 for um drafttech.com and it's another board that there's being factored into this evaluation. But like this is another guy. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Regardless of what he does at the combine, just from conversations alone, we'll be rocketing up ESPN's board and other people's yeah, boards as well. Was... Because when they go back and watch the tape, when they hear how other people view him, I do think he might be end up being like a consensus top 80, top 75 type of player.
1: Yeah, and again, it comes back to it, it's just like a lot of people probably haven't watched a ton of them. It's like not not a lot of people also can like have access to Western Michigan's all 22. So Sky Moore, we've talked about him a bunch. This isn't don't have to repeat it, but he was the highest graded wide receiver in the country last year wide receiver six in pffs draft board 30th overall um he just gets open man i I didn't didn't matter who he played pittsburgh power five competitions on schedule dude no one could hold him i like he is shifty as can be um very randall cobb-esque deontay johnson-esque like that level of just make you miss at the line that yeah not going to be the height sort of threshold that you love but i don't think it really matters
0: Bernard Ryman, next player on your list. He's the 15th ranked player on PF's draft board. No other outlet right now has him inside their top 30. He is rocketed up after what a lot of people are saying when you read some of the analysis from the senior bowl where it wasn't like an otherworldly impressive senior bowl for Bernard Ryman. There's also been some some um, analysis and some concerns on he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, yeah. right? Like you're, you're thinking about development at that point, but you still firmly have him as the 15th ranked player uh, on your draft board.
1: Yeah, that's – so age is case by case. Devontae Wyatt's on here. He's going to be 24 years old as well, the defense stack from Georgia. That's obviously not ideal. You'd rather the guys be 21. But Bernard Ryman, just to go through kind of his path to this point, was he came to the USA as a junior, as a foreign exchange student, played wide receiver, got offered for Central Michigan – off of that tape that he played as foreign exchange student. Went back for a senior year to Austria, enrolls in the Austrian Army as compulsory service before ending up coming back to America to enroll at Central Michigan. So he's played almost zilch football when he roll- enrolls at Central Michigan, starts at tight end two years there, switches off tackle, 60 pounds over the next two years. He develops second highest graded tackle in America this past season. And from everything I've heard from people who have worked with him, this takes coaching better than anyone they've ever worked with, works harder than anyone they've ever worked with, like the dream scenario, and is going to go to the combine and test very, very well. Like the guy is a hell of an athlete on tape. So all that mixed together, I feel confident that the 24 years old is not something I'm terribly worried about and that, might even make him more pro ready than some of these other tackles because of it.
0: I'm excited to see how he tests the combine because if he does show up as you said, because like some people are also concerned about the 33 inch arms, right? Like some people don't want him longer arms and all that stuff. If he does test well at the combine, I heard
1: four eights. He's gonna run the four eights somewhere. Four eights, which wow. is that would be hot. that's cooking for eight. Next
0: player on your list is actually not someone you're you know objectively higher on than everyone else. You you highlight a lot of prospects like that. It is Tyler Linderbaum, who's currently the I think 12th ranked player on PFS draft board, CBS Sports has him fifth, Sports Illustrated seventh, Bleach Report eighth, Draft Network 11th. However, we're obviously factoring a lot of positional, positional value, value into that. If, Ty, if you if you were ranking Tyler Linderbaum and through positional value out the window, I mean, he's a top three he's top. Probably top. one or two. Yeah, right by Kyle Hamilton, right? Yeah. Kyle Hamilton's probably a higher Kyle Hamilton's well, there. But
1: um, Yeah, that's, that's it with Tyler Linderbaum. And it's like, yeah, maybe he's not the most scheme diverse. But even then, it's I, I push back on that. I think he's still going to excel. I don't really don't think it matters what scheme he goes to. Um, oh, so you don't see him limited to his own scheme? No, I, I don't. Like he's undersized, but he moves people. Like he legitimately moves people off the ball. Still, um, Asterisk and worse if he can move people. You know, like yeah. the dude, he beat him in wrestling. Is a guy who was what a year younger than I'm coming out. So, yeah, Linderbaum, IOL one no doubt, slam dunk, whatever you want to say. 360 between the legs, windmill. <laughs> He's that guy. We'll get to that read later. Devontae Wyatt,
0: another player you're highlighting here. You have him 38th on your board, which is higher. 25th the PFF 25th. Before. 25th, excuse me, which is higher than how CBS Sports sees it, Draft Network sees it, Sports Illustrated sees it. You're right up there with her, though, uh, right up there with ESPN, 23rd-ranked player, Bleach Report, 23rd-ranked player, and PFF, obviously, at 25. He's a guy, too, that... I hate to be the saw it live scout, but when you saw it at the senior bowl, dude, he was different uh, yeah. along that interior defensive line.
1: And we touched on why that matters for a guy like Devontae Wyatt. When Georgia's scheme, it's Georgia's, not just Georgia's scheme, Georgia is scheme first. They were like, scheme, scheme, scheme. Do your, execute your role. And that's, you know, that, that leads to a great defense when you have the talent they do. But... In the nfl a lot of times you just, you're still the the different the difference makers get to go one-on-one get to have some freedom within a scheme that's how you make an impact and Devontae wyatt got some freedom at the senior bowl you know that is kind of it's a little loosey-goosey it's go make plays and the dude was making plays left and right highest pass rushing grade of any one in attendance that over the week so that was nice to see that makes you feel confident and yeah they're not going against world beaters on the interior line Whatever, but DT1, I case closed. That's what's going to be this year. One of my favorite
0: edge players in this class is also on your list Kingsley and Agbury, where I do think there's a lot of polarizing opinion on him. Uh, CBS Sports is the highest on him at 30th overall on their big board. You have him at 35th. Others, though, Bleacher Report, 82nd. Oof. wide opinion on what they feel Kingsley and Nagbury will do at the next level draft network at 60th, ESPN at 48th. There is a wide range of opinions on the Nagbury, And I think the comments going to be massive for him, right? Cause yeah. what has been tagged for him for everyone is like, he hasn't got the juice of these other guys. Yeah. No juice, no juice. The arm length is there. The size is there. The production is there. He's got one of the highest pass rush win rates in a single season. We've ever seen at the collegiate level. He shows up at the combine and isn't, terrible like isn't below average across mm-hmm. the board or you know low percentile across the board i do think that more people will get on board with him as this top 50 player but the combine could kill him too like if he does not if he's a 25th percentile athlete you're fucked like you're, yeah. you're gonna drop down significantly down the board
1: that's yeah and even still even if he's not elite athlete he has a way to win which is that 35 inch arms you know 35 inch arms is a good way to win that's longer than The vast majority of tackles are even going to go against. That's a difficult, and he knows how to use that length already. That's a big starting point. That's why he had you know the highest, second highest and grade behind Aiden Hutchinson in the country last year. So, yeah, I do still trust that to a degree. That knowing what to do on a football field, even if he doesn't really know, and like that's kind of the other thing about him is he looks so loose out there, like so unrefined, in even the moves that he's successful in that. Can be improved. And you saw him at the Senior Bowl. Like the defense coaches, defense line coaches were all over him after the reps because of that, because he can improve his technique a lot. And so I think there's still room for growth, even if he's not, like you mentioned, maybe not a high end athlete for the position.
0: Next player on your list, Leo this Chanel. This is Chanel. Chanel say it every time. Whatever. What is it? Is Chanel? Chanel. Yeah. Is it really Chanel? Yeah. Leo Chanel. Is another player similar to Sky Moore that as more people watch this tape, I do think will rock it upwards. Because right now you are the highest on him by a country mile at 37th on your big board. ESPN has him at 72nd. Draft Network 109. CBS Sports 115. Other people haven't even watched Bleach Report, doesn't even have him on their big board. Like he's not there. So Leo Chanel is going to be someone, Chanel. in my opinion. Chanel? Yeah. Or
1: why I
2: said
0: Chanel? Chen- both times. Why is it Chanel? said Chanel
1: both times. He spelled saying like Chanel. Chanel? <laughs> so it's spelled like Chanel too, if you want.
0: I guess. All right, Leo Chanel, you're the highest on him of anyone right now in sports media, and you've waxed poetic about him as maybe even a back end of the first rounder type.
1: Yeah. Um, 94.1 run defense grade, second highest we've ever seen in a single season. Behind Micah Parsons? Behind Micah Parsons. He's going to be a good run defender because he's 6'2", 260. Like, this is a unique dude, and he's a better athlete than Zayvon Collins was coming out. Now, Zayvon Collins was better in coverage. Probably had a longer wingspan, a little more sphere of influence, but Chanel's going to test better. He's, the guy can move. So that that to me is the thing that I'm not sure it's really, until the combine, you're going to see him shoot up boards because combine is probably going to go 4'6", 35 plus inch vertical, low shuttle, like he's going to have He's an all around athlete, despite the, even at that size. So, not for everybody. We've said this a lot. Not for everybody. 260 is a unique dude. And you're even at, I don't care how athletic you are, 260, there's a low percentage chance you're going to be an impact player in coverage. But certain schemes, anything that blitzes a lot, you're going to want the game. I also
0: don't think, am I crazy? I also don't think that Leo Chanel. There you go. Doesn't have to be limited to like this blitzer at the next. Oh, I, I he doesn't have to be. Yeah.
1: Like I'm just saying, he's damn good at that. Mm-hmm. That's something that you're gonna want to take advantage of. It's Like Micah Parsons, he never ha- he didn't have to go to a scheme that rushed the passer the whole time to be an impact player. He can make impact plays in coverage, but he's not going to be like a Levante David in coverage. Luke Keekley you're not. That's not what you're expecting out of these guys. You're just expecting a guy who can wrap up in space as his main way of making plays in coverage, not necessarily plays on the football.
0: Trent McDovey next on your list. You are. High on him, eighth ranked player on your draft board. Others are more in the fifties or thirties. Swartz Illustrated at fifty-four. Fifty-four.
1: Um, uh, just, I don't. I, I. I'm floored. If you have him met fifty-four on your draft board, I'd need to see the corner. If how many corners they have ahead of them. I just. I, I don't
0: have that in front of me right now. But I'm just giving you the. Uh, I know. I know. I'm. I'm not getting mad at you.
1: I'm getting mad at a vacuum here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you have him as an 8th ring player. I think he's another guy. Again, this is another guy. And we, I, I'm not trying to like – I feel like when I say that, I'm not trying to say, well, PFF's ahead of the game. PFF's got it all covered. No. But like the athleticism will show up. Yes, people will good. people will like flock to him when he goes to the combine.
1: I, he might go – I wouldn't be surprised if he like really is a, you know, 4'4 four, four flat, 40-inch vertical, 11-foot broad jump. Like just every single test knocks out the park. Four Sub-4 four second shuttle. Six, eight, three comes. I'm just all around ideal athlete. Because that's what he looks like on tape. Just as smooth as can be. Balance is terrific and explosive as hell. Trent McDuffie is like 8th overall player, PFF draft board. And then the other thing is, like with all these guys, like I said, Chanel, second-best run defense grade have ever seen. Devontae Wyatt, highest-graded Power 5 defense tackle this past year. Linderbaum, obviously highest-graded center two years in a row. McDuffie, three straight years since his true freshman year coverage grades over 80. Only missed six tackles his entire on 101 attempts his entire career. Like from the rip this guy has been a very very good cornerback. Jalen Petrie, who I thought you wouldn't be so much higher on
0: than everyone else, especially after the senior bowl. I think a lot of people came out of the senior bowl excited about him. Uh the physicality he plays with it's one of the highest grade run defending cornerbacks in all of college football last year, productive player. I think he immediately can slot in slot into the slot next year um you have him as your i think 28, 28th ranked player on the board mm-hmm. others have him more often in the 30s draft network has him as low as 151 on their draft board on jalen petrie
1: interesting that one's interesting um yeah i mean he's he's a slot cornerback is the weird sort of projection with petrie um, but he is a guy who actually so he played almost high level starter snaps as a way back as a freshman 409, but now he's a fifth year. That was back in 2017. Now he's fifth year and was pro- like easily the best slot cornerback in the country last year. He had the most defensive stops of any defensive back with 50. I believe he had the second most pressures with 25. This guy just around the line of scrimmage. So he's 5'10 and a half, I believe, 196 way checked in the senior bowl. I think he could play linebacker in the NFL. If you wanted him to the right scheme, he could be a weak side linebacker and he can't take on blocks all the time. Could be a bit of a liability, but he can take on blocks enough and get around them. Like he beats pullers and shit. Like he is who, who was saying that he was the toughest guy to block there at the senior bowl. One of the tight ends, the Nevada tight end. Yeah. Yeah. Cole Turner. Cole Turner. So th- this guy is a, what's one of the, one of the classics. He's a, he's a football player. He's Love that. Love
0: that. Classic. Scout Absolute football player. Kirby Joseph is going to round out your list. And you're actually not overwhelmingly higher on him than everyone else. I think everyone has a very similar opinion on Kirby Joseph. He's in that 65 to 90 range for others that have had them on their draft board. A lot of people like him as this top of round three type of player.
1: Yes. So 67th PFF, safety five. And now you wish he had more tape. You wish he had more than just one year a starter. And it's like a little concerning they could only play one year a starter for a program like Illinois. But by- Super long arms, and the thing I love, and I don't usually talk about this the way like scouts talk about this, but like the way he played on special teams was awesome. Sixteen tackles on special teams in his career, never missed a tackle on special teams. It's been a terrific tackler as a safety over his career. Hundred and four tackles with only ten missed tackles in his career, just as a safety. That's a good, good starting point with. Five picks last year, four pass breakups. Ball production and good tackler is a very, very good starting point for a safety. That rounds out your favorite
0: prospects. I think I want to do that same exercise and look at some of the guys that I like. I think some of the shared dudes, I'm a big Kingsley and Agbari fan. I like Trent McDuffie a lot. I like Jalen Petrie a lot. We'll see what other names I can add to that as well. I think that's a cool segment. Before we get to the delete your tweet generational prospect bracket, which I think will be fun, we're going defensive tackle today. Guess what is between the legs windmill 60 good? 360. DraftKings. Hopes fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any end team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 years or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. I'll say this. Did you watch we- the dunk contest? Yeah.
1: Was it good? No. I heard it was bad. It was terrible. I used to... I used to love dunking. Um, I what? To, I mean, I was like... I would skip... I skipped... What? I, I skipped homecoming one year because it was the same day as dunk contest. Oh, you used to love watching people dunk. Well, myself I, too. But like, I used to daydream about dunking myself. Ever since the 2000 dunk contest, Vince Carter yeah, changed my life. The most um, famed dunk contest of all time. Yeah. Um, had to drink there, sorry. But I, I was a junk contest purist and it's sad that I've fallen off so far being in football but didn't even couldn't even tell you who was in the dunk contest.
0: Juan Toscano-Anderson was in it. Who played basketball at Castor Valley High, where I went to high school, the same years that I was there. He was dominant for them. He played for the Warriors. Um, did you do anything nice? He did not win. I think Obi Toppin won. Oh, nice! The dunk contest, and his winning dunks were not that cool. I mean, I say that being like a literal piece of shit. <laughs> like I'm like I could never do anything that Obi Toppin could ever do. But they weren't that cool relative to like other dunk contests, right? Oh like other dunk contests. The best dunk contest of in recent memory was the one
1: between. Aaron, I mean, Gordon. Aaron Gordon and yeah, that was an all-time Aaron Gordon and who was the Bulls guy Zach Levine I yeah. guess when he was with the Wolves though but that was those are two all-time dunkers though Uh Vince Carter obviously probably the GOAT all-time dunker Gerald Green, James White those are probably like your top five that ever competed.
0: So some people think that the reason that the dunk contest is not doing well is because like the best stars don't
1: do it like LeBron's not in it what the hell? Like- well I mean it is like like I said Levine and Gordon were all timers. Mm -hmm. Those were two of the better dunkers ever. And so once you have a fall off from that, this is the shitty thing. It's like after, like a couple of years after the Vince, oh shit, I completely forgot Jason Richardson too. Jason Richardson's top five. You can knock off probably, God, who would I knock off that top five? But Jason Richardson was top five. But once it goes from like that high of high, you have to hit that. You got to keep going up, you know, or else people lose interest. True. You can't just keep doing the same dunks. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, There's little creativity unless you literally are more athletic than that guy. So you need Mac McClung to get in it. That's who needs to be in it next year. All right. Delete the tweet. You start. All right. Delete the tweet. We're going back to what? This was 2018 I tweeted this. 2019. 2019 I tweeted this. Okay. Herbert's god-awful Hail Mary. Oh, my gosh. Herbert's god-awful Hail Mary attempt. I can't remember who this was against is a microcosm of his game. Mental awareness is all over the map. So who was it that he was the last play of the game? They had a Hail Mary attempt to tie it up, and he threw it out the back of the end zone by about 10 yards. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And he had some weird plays like that that entire year. That was my weird thing about him. And I, the crazy thing was I went back to, I just like searched my like library of Herbert, and he was QB1 and a top-five player on the PFF draft board heading into his junior year. So that would have been heading into 2018 season. So a year prior to this, like you're prior to a senior year. And then he just started like, I don't know, the mental awareness thing. That that was like the biggest turnoff for me. And I remember talking to like Bruce Gretkowski about it. He's just like, yeah, something about this guy. And the more people like, and that was why he fell to six. There wasn't physical ability for a lot of people. It was just like, why is he putting up these weird duds on weird occasions? I don't know. But that one, in retrospect, kind of yikes. And, and, and combined with this one's the second I kind of
0: love there. your second tweet, though.
1: My second tweet is, like, ugly and then all correct afterwards. But my least favorite picks from round one, Justin Herbert, who has probably been objectively the best pick in terms of, like, where they got him versus Absolutely. what they got. And then Austin Jackson, Damon Arnett, Kenneth Murray, Isaiah Wilson, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So I got the rest. But the Justin Herbert one still sticks out like so You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Um,
0: my the tweets, actually, I was looking in 2016, 2016 AG, to see if I had any takes or anything that I think I should delete. And it's actually a series of four tweets, four minimum, I wasn't going to keep digging, where I tried to, as I was a live tweeter during San Diego State football games, make hashtag pumpkin spice, spelled P-U-M-P-H, like Donald Pumphrey. I tried to make it a thing. I tried to make pumpkin spice a thing. There are four tweets. So this first one is keys to an Aztec win. This was in the second half of a Cal game where they're going against Davis Webb that they win. Continue to get pressure on Webb. Keep Chapman upright. Order of Venti pumpkin spice. That is terrible. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> Another Venti. one with this 30, his 33 yard score Pumphrey is now just 138 yards away from passing Marshall fall because SESU's career rushing yards leader. Hashtag pumpkin spice. Yikes. Pumphrey ties Marshall Falk for 23 with 2,300 yard rushing games. Hashtag pumpkin spice. This is all in like an hour. We need st- at Starbucks to add a drink to the San Diego location. Its name hashtag pumpkin spice. Zero likes, zero retweets.
1: You forgot this one though. This was a take from PFF draft from Jordan Plotcher that said, I don't care that Donald Pumphrey weighs only 169 pounds. He can run between the tackles. I want him on my team. And then you quote tweeted and said, This is a hot take I can get behind. Hashtag pumpkin spice. Yikes. I'm, so you i you kept like, going, I'm even like after a, you realized it was. I'm honestly
0: embarrassed for myself. I do remember tor- telling Jordan Plocker, though, that Rashad Penny was a better prospect than Donald Pumphrey. But
1: you weren't the, the only point. one. I'm clicking on Pumpkin Spice here. Other people have used it. Really? There's probably about a half dozen other tweets from it. That's not bad. A little bit more. Um, but I will say, the gr- the grind of live tweeting, the, like, any game with, here's what just happened, Seems so brutal. When we would go to press boxes and sit next to people who are just like twelve yard gain. Yeah. Out of pasta. Whatever. I mean, that's the type of it's stuff like, that dude, we do. That it's sucks. tough. It's tough. It just seems like an awful way to watch a game.
0: I mean, that's what like editors wanted though. Like, but editors- they, they like
1: they push for that, but it's such objectively bad content. If you're if you're looking for someone's tweets for play by play updates, you're you have other ways to you have other ways yes. to consume the game.
0: It's it's dying. It should be dead, but it's definitely yeah. dying in that like there are times where you know you'll see Raider. i still follow a lot of raiders beat writers for my raiders fandom you'll see like just first down i'll just say first down in the middle of a game like who is actually watching that right like i think you want to when you're live tweeting games provide analysis and 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 provide takes on some of the decisions that are happening like you can
1: do some of these savior like reactions like oh my god i say serious but but i do think Like you said, it goes back to the editors or people in charge wanting to prove that they're like working something, having some some provable reason to be there or whatever. So it's like, oh, I tweet a thousand takes that get zero likes. Yeah.
0: I mean, what's the peak for that outside of like a game winning touchdown? You know, I don't know. Uh, Generational prospect bracket for defensive tackle. Let's get into it.
1: Walk us through your 2015 through 2022 DT1s and we'll pick the best one. So. 2015, Leonard Williams was the top one that year coming out of USC, first year of the draft. Again, we didn't have a draft board that year, sadly, but he was a top 10 pick on our only PFF mock draft that year, mm. which is <laughs> incredible how far it's come. That was oh seven gosh. years ago, and we had one mock draft. Now we have like one every week. Literally the day before the draft, I believe it was. That's that it insane. Out. Yeah. So 2016, DeForest Buckner, was the top DT that year, not Chris Jones, sadly, even though Chris Jones wasn't too far behind. But DeForest Buckner, number two overall on the PFF board that year. 2017, Jonathan Allen coming out of Alabama. He was the number two player on the PFF draft. I board. love
0: Jonathan Allen coming out.
1: Yeah, got that. We nailed that one in retrospect. 2018, Maurice Hurst was the number three overall player on the PFF draft board in retrospect. Let's well, no comment. 2019, his he tape. Was hurt. Can we stop there though? Forcers. His tape was insane. Michigan Tate was freaking
0: insane. Well, I'm he was gonna also so say
1: that he was good in a limited what as a pass rusher for the Raiders in year two and then inexplicably got cut. I, I still and then he got hurt this past year. So I'm still bullish on his future prospects. He did not go to the situation that was ideal for him. I'll just keep saying I want
0: I wish I could have got I could go back get a top twenty machine. pass
1: rushing grade for DTs back in twenty twenty before he got cut. I wish I could go
0: back with a time machine and See what he where he would have actually been drafted if the heart stuff didn't come up because like were we just like completely off what the NFL saw and like was he like a second third rounder if you know the heart stuff didn't come up because the heart stuff pushes him all the way to the fifth round but I would love to know like completely healthy where is Hurst going yeah in that draft because that's probably one of the biggest separators in how we had a player ranked and where he ultimately ended up right yeah Uh,
1: 2019 Quinn Williams number three overall. On the draft board, 2020 was Javon Kinlaw coming out of South Carolina. He was 13th overall. And now we've said, last two years, week DT classes, this will show you why. Christian Barmore was 12th overall in 2021, coming out of Alabama. And Devontae Wyatt this year, Georgia DT, 25th overall. Lowest of any of those guys. Lowest of any of those guys. So, the matchups, we'll start with the 1-8. With the 2015 versus 2020, Devontae Wyatt versus Leonard Williams. This one, I'm feel fairly confident but but i'm not sure i'm not sure Devonte white's too far off but leonard williams is the true junior coming out a lot younger very powerful very safe i'll say yeah. coming out of usc he wasn't the athlete that Devonte white is i think he went like 497 in the 40 maybe just a shade over five like he was around that range nothing special athletically but you just knew you're getting a solid football player so i think leonard williams wins out for that regard
0: I am all in on Leonard Williams as well. Leonard Williams was awesome
1: coming out of USA. Yeah. All right. 2016, excuse me, versus 2021. And that is going to be DeForest Buckner against Christian Barmore. DeForest Buckner was number two overall that year. He was awesome at Oregon. I think he still has the most snaps played ever in a season for a defensive tackle. He had a game his last year at Oregon where he played 100 snaps in a single game. The dude was a insane, insane, let me see what it was. No, he had 99, his final game against TCU in the bowl. He was insanely productive, ideal frame, 6'7", 35-inch arms, like everything you could want. He was a ridiculous prospect coming out of Oregon. We were pretty – pretty certain that he was going to be a productive NFL player.
0: I think it's gonna be he's gonna be deep in this, right? Yeah. I think he's gonna make multiple rounds. I think he'd even be could even be in the finals. DeForest Buckner is, you know, one of the better defensive tackle prospects that's come out uh over the last, you know, ten years.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right. Jonathan Allen versus Javon Kinlaw, this one is a cakewalk in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan Allen, I, I can't believe he fell to where he did in the draft. I, I know he wasn't athletically, I think he was a slightly above-average athlete for a DT. Not an elite athlete, not close to a Quinn and Williams. Javon Kinlaw is probably even a better athlete, pure athlete, than he was. But, dude, Jonathan Allen was so damn productive. Week in, week out, it really didn't matter. 67 pressures his final season at Alabama, 13 sacks, 13 hits for your DT. Some of the best pass rushing moves coming out. We've seen like one of the most just polished products, and he had that Superman sack where he jumped over the running back, remember that? Like, he was – and he fell the 17th overall. But now he was, he's top three graded DT last year. Like, he was damn good. I, this one, again, like I said, not close, in my opinion, Jonathan Allen. Yep, agreed. All right. Maurice Hurst versus Quinton Williams. Quinnen, It's Quinton. Hurst was a damn good prospect. But this one, Hurst against some other guys in this list is going to win. But Quinton Williams was, Different. to me, still – I still like one of the most head-scratching NFL careers a head-scratching college career too because one year he played 151 snaps in 2017 as a redshirt freshman 647 snaps the next year earned a 96.0 overall grade still the highest we've ever seen in the position was every single game every single snap basically winning and and I was like okay there was a real conversation between him and Nick Bosa coming out who should they pick Number two overall. And it was a
0: rightful conversation. He was yes. that
1: productive. And it literally, like, I the sole differentiating factor to me was I'm like, Nick Bosa plays a more valuable position, can see the field more. Mm-hmm. That was it. In terms of how good they were for their respective positions, there was a an actual question. Now, quentin Williams has not been that guy in the NFL. He's been fine. He's not been a bust by any means. But we expected at the number three overall pick him to be like game Yeah, you, know, you know, the second would be that Aaron Donald light. I mean, he was you know, getting those just, comparisons. Exactly he was like, getting Aaron Donald-like impact comparisons. To be just behind him. So, yeah, Quinn and Williams is a better prospect than Maurice Hurst, for sure. So, now we move on to Leonard Williams against Quinn and Williams. And, again, I got to lean Quinn in here. This one. I, I think Leonard Williams could beat some of the other guys on this list, but I agree. I think I'd lean Quinton as well. Yeah, Quinton was that good. The, the only guy – To me, it's Defoe and Jonathan Allen are the only ones who are holding a candle to Quinnen as a prospect coming out. So let's debate Defoe versus Jonathan Allen. This one's tough now.
0: I think Defoe. I mean, DeForest Buckner, a lot. I remember people coveting, like, the positional versatility. You could do whatever you wanted along the defensive line. Jonathan Allen, I know PFF was higher than everyone else. Mm -hmm. But... I just don't think he was as good. It was not as good of a prospect coming out as Buckner. Buckner had everything you wanted, like legitimately everything you wanted.
1: See, my thing was that year that Defoe came out, I was higher on Chris Jones. The board, I did not have control over at that point. So we ended up going to Forrest Buckner, obviously. But I still like Chris Jones better, so I can't like in good conscience say that Defoe is the generational prospect. I gotcha, I gotcha. And I really like Jonathan Allen. He had a 90.1 overall grade back in 2015. He was another guy who wasn't, he was kind of a part-time player on that Superman 2015 sack. team. Remember the, the Superman yeah. sack that like everyone highlighted in his. Program I literally was. just said that when I was talking about it before. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. But and then a 92.2 overall grade is last year. I lean John Allen, but I think Defoe probably better traits when projecting the NFL. So I think we can go. We can go Defoe, but then that's to me. To me, it's Quinn and Williams. Yeah. I it's mean, I think
0: team. I think when I when we first put this segment together, right, and you put all these defensive tackles, I thought it was gonna be Defoe versus Quinn in the end. Um, that's what my assumption was. And then you'd give it to Quinnen. But I think uh it speaks to just like, I mean, 2022, 2021, and 2020, Kinlaw, Barmore, Wyatt. What is that trend of defensive tackle? Right, like, know, is, it's like will go- we see another DeForest Buckner? Will we see another Quinn and Williams? Like that would be or Leonard Williams even. Like yeah. those guys were insane. Those guys are insane defensive tackle prospects. Even Jonathan Allen, Chris Jones,
1: Jalen Carter next year could be. I could see. There's the who's the Brian Breezy, the Clemson dude. I could see him developing into that. We'll, we'll get it. I think it's just a lull. It's kind of like the wide receivers from like 2016 to 2018. They're just that happens sometimes. So, there you have it. Quinn Williams your generational DT to go along with Quinn Nelson your generational Interior lineman and Saquon, your generational running back. We'll Love get to, to see it. So Saquon, what should we do? What should we do next week?
0: Tight end, I think would be kind of funny.
1: Tight end for the people.
0: It's just gonna be Kyle Pitts. I mean, yeah. But um, didn't we have Hunter Bryant as our tight end one one year?
1: No, wait, did we? I think did. Did he we end up did. in tight end I think one?
0: Tight end one was Hunter Bryant. Well, there are we,
1: some lean tight end years also. I mean, they've been lean been. for a while. Yeah, they've
0: been lean for a long time. Hunter Bryant, I think, was the forty fifth ranked player on
1: our draft board. and went undrafted. No, he was not forty fifth in our draft board. Let's I see. Guarantee Let's he was see. What, what year? He, did he was come not out? top seventy five. What year did he come out? Twenty twenty. There's no way he was. I'm checking. It's time. He was 79th, and he was the number one tight end, though. But here are the other tight ends that year: Cole Komet, Adam Troutman, Bryson Hopkins, Harrison Bryant, Jared Binkney. Josiah, Josiah Deguara, a, a world-beater slate of tight ends that he had to go against. The, if you go to the big board
0: on PFF.com, Hunter Bryant is the 79th-ranked player, tight end one, and it's not even a picture of Hunter Bryant. Yikes. <laughs> we need to change that. Oh, yeah, that. who is that guy? I don't know who that is, but we need to change that because that's definitely not Hunter Bryant. Uh, unfortunate situation, it was just a bad tight end class. Yeah. Just a bad tight end class. Did Hunter, Max Chadwick is telling me Hunter Bryant did not go undrafted. Is that true? He went undrafted.
1: He got signed by the Lions, though.
0: I'm pretty sure he did go undrafted. He was undrafted. Max Chadwick, producer on the pod, is lying to us. Literally lying to us. Wow. You hate to see it. He Titan, still plays 100%. for the Lions.
1: You hate to see it. All yeah.
0: right. Well, let's get into, get into this interview with uh, Ohio State. One of my favorite interviews, honestly, I've done this offseason so far, as um, Chris Olave, the Ohio State wide receiver. Let's get it. Now, joining the Tailgate podcast is one of my favorite receivers I've ever watched in college football. I gotta be honest. Chris Olave, I've been a big fan of your game for a very long time. I was over here here in Cincinnati, banging the table for you to come out in last year's draft, right? I was a huge <laughs> fan, huge fan of your game. Yeah. I wanted to see you taking on NFL cornerbacks and, and taking your talents to the NFL. You obviously make the decision to go back to Ohio State, have another really good year with CJ Stroud and that crew, but. Really appreciate joining the show. I guess let's start there. That decision to come back, right? You know, what all went into that decision? And, um, you know, what really drove you to come back to Ohio State?
2: Uh, blood. Appreciate all that, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> but it was a tough decision, man. We we had playing the national championship, you know, I think, January 11th. And then we had to, I had to make a decision by January 18th. So I had a, a week to decide. So I, I, we come off a big loss uh, to Alabama. So it was tough for me. Uh, I'm a competitor, so I hate losing. Uh, that really hit me, so I took a couple days off and then uh, flew back home to California. But uh, just discussing with my family, I feel like it was the best decision for me to come back. Uh, I know a lot of people wanted me to come out, but I feel like uh, I love college football. I want to win a national championship, so uh, I wanted to do that uh, that last year. Uh, and I knew the NFL was always going to be there, so uh, that's why I one of the main reasons why I came back.
0: No one can blame you for that, man.
2: Championship. Yeah.
0: No one can blame you for that. Wanting to win a national championship, there's a lot of pride in that. And I, you, I heard yeah. you say you went back home to California. I'm actually from California as well. Where are you from? Uh, from San Diego. Oh wow! I went to. I am from Oakland, California, but I went to San Diego State, so I, I know San Diego well, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I miss it all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I miss it all the time. I'm now based in Cincinnati, uh, where the weather and the food is is a lot worse. But I'm excited. I'm excited. If you get drafted by the Bengals, my guy, soak up all you can in San Diego, because when you come to Cincinnati, it's a whole whole world different. But back to this past season, right? You make this decision to come back. You have a lot of success in what is like an absurdly talented wide receiving core, right? I mean, you have Jackson's. Smith the Jigba who set records there, single game records at Ohio State. Obviously Garrett Wilson, who's being consistently mocked in the first round of mock drafts. I'm sure you guys have seen all of that media. How yeah. fun! This might not be a great question, but I want to ask: How fun was it working with those two other receivers and CJ Stroud, knowing just like game in and game out, this offense was just capable of you know 400, 500 passing yards a game?
2: Oh yeah, it was explosive. I mean, we practiced with each other every day, so we just having fun uh, just to be by those two great receivers and, and having a quarterback like CJ was a huge blessing. So, but just being, being around them and being, uh, we all competitors. So, uh, we always wanted to uh, be the best and uh, we were surrounded by the best. So, it made us uh, even better.
0: I had Sean Wade on this podcast, I think a, a couple, maybe a year ago or you know, a few months mm-hmm. ago, and he talked a lot about your guys' game, both Garrett Wilson and yourself, and just how, how difficult you guys are to cover in practice. And he, he said to me, I know you're a former track star, you, you, you can't beat Chris Olave in a straight line, but Garrett Wilson has this dynamism, this spectacular catchability, I guess. Yeah. That's how Sean Wade saw your games. But compare, yeah. compare yourself to Garrett Wilson and kind of what separates you from him and, and you know, what those key differences are.
2: Uh, Gary, he's just a freak. I mean, uh, you put the ball in Gary's hand, he gonna make a couple people miss. Uh, he go up and get the ball, one-handed catches. Uh, he's just a, a freak athlete, and uh, he's a, he's a great football player. He has a ton of routes. Uh, he could he could he's a deep threat too. Uh, people underrated speed. I, I feel like he's a he, he has the speed. So, uh, but me, I'm more of a route runner, uh, deep threat, and uh, I can run all, all, all the routes, uh, intermediate, uh, low routes, and deep routes. So. I feel like I, I add a lot of twitchy stuff to my game and, and try to mix up my route motion. Uh, I feel like my game is, and our game is very similar but different at the same time.
0: Something that I pick up from your game, watching your film, having watched it for like the last two or three years now, is that in addition to being this smooth route runner, right, this athlete, this guy that can stretch the field vertically, you look like a route technician in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It looks very smooth because of, it looks like you've done it a thousand times, right? I speak to yeah. your your preparation, right, and, and and how you approach practice to improve as a route runner, even you know what your approach is in the film room. I'm sure a lot of what you do in the film room, watching yourself, watching receivers in the NFL, watching cornerbacks, pays into kind of the success you have on the field and how smooth, I think smooth is a word that gets thrown a lot with you, smooth it looks on the football field.
2: Oh yeah, I mean when you go to Ohio State, you go against the best every day so uh, you, when you go to practice, you got to bring your best. We go against first round corners every day so we get uh, great reps against each other and uh, like I said, practice and then I watch a lot of film too. I watch, I study a lot of NFL films so I kind of study a lot of different receivers and try to take, take some of that stuff out of the game, put it in my game and just mixing all that up and going against the corners. So uh, just getting a lot of reps and studying film, that's that's what uh – gives
0: me an advantage. I'm sure you watch – I ask receivers all the time, well, which receivers do you watch in the NFL? Who do you like to pad in your game after? And I'm sure it's the usual suspects, you know, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, you know, Keenan Allen, these guys that are awesome. Are there any receivers yeah. maybe that aren't, that aren't like known as these top names that you still love to watch, right? One of the comparisons I have for you is Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley and you have very similar games, how oh, yeah, you guys approach course. route running and all that stuff. But I guess <laughs> name some names, right? Name some names of these NFL guys that you watch.
2: Uh, like you said, Devontae Adams, uh, Keenan Allen, uh, Tyree Hill, Stephon Diggs. I watch Deontay Johnson. Uh, he has a lot of movement in his routes. And I like uh, Deshaun Jackson. I'm a huge Deshaun Jackson fan. I like Jerry Judy too, mm-hmm. and Calvin Ridley. Really. I, I watch a lot of guys, a lot of different guys. So
0: that's awesome man yeah Jerry Judy I sat down with him at the Super Bowl man I'll tell you what in addition to being a great route runner he might have had the biggest nicest watch I've ever seen <laughs> he, I'm a, I, oh, rolled, yeah, just... I rolled up <laughs> I rolled up there with an apple watch and I'm like dude I might have to take this thing off this thing's looking pretty cheap compared to you know, Jerry Judy is a great character though that's awesome oh, Go, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: going back to this season I know you know obviously a, a super successful season for Iowa State but there was this kind of letdown moment against Michigan right a game that this Ohio State team has not lost in a very long time what were some of the key you know things that you learned from that experience right because anytime you face adversity like that or go through a loss like that there's a lot of learning moments to be had what were some of your bigger takeaways from that game
2: uh losing to them is unacceptable so uh, we prepare uh, all year for them but uh, they brought their a game and they had a good game, so uh, just to take away, we we uh were through adversity that game. Uh, we were down the whole game, but uh, we tried to fight back. But they they had a, a really good game, but uh, we just had to bounce back, and uh, we bounced back and got a huge win in the Rose Bowl. So.
0: I can I can sense that venom in the losing that game is unacceptable. Losing to them is unacceptable. I love college oh, yeah. football. I love college football <laughs> rivalries, man. I've I've talked to some Michigan guys. I've talked to other Ohio State guys. Anytime you bring up that game, I mean it is it is a different it is a different ball game, man. It is it is awesome here. I'm glad you're able to speak to it. I'm glad that rivalry continues to persist. Going to now the work that you're doing at House Athlete. I know you're in there there at Florida working with those guys. How has that process gone? Um, what are some goals in mind, right, for the drills that you have coming up at the combine? And at your pro day, and is there a goal weight you're working to? I know you were listed at six foot one, 188. Is there a weight that teams are asking you to get to either go up to or go down to? Um, I guess speak to that process as well.
2: Uh, the combine train going well. I mean, we got like eight weeks. Uh, I had eight weeks to, to prepare for the combine. Combine coming up in like two weeks or whatever. So uh, I feel like I've been doing a lot, a lot of work, uh, doing a lot of speed work with Mo Wells. Uh, a lot of our trainers out here are really good, so uh, getting in the weight room, eating right, finally eating right. Uh, my diet wasn't really really that good in college, so uh, finally eating the right foods, and <laughs> I felt my body changing, but uh, my goal weight is probably like 189, 190. I want to play at like 188, 189 this year, so the first time to be able to play at that weight, I played at like 83, 84 in college, so well, I just be up there and contain my speed and get, get even faster and stronger, so. I was
0: listening to the interview that you did with the I Am Athlete podcast with Brandon Marshall. And he talks in that, in the beginning of that interview, they talk a lot about food, right? Chad Johnson is this outlier, right? Where he just eats McDonald's yeah. all day long and he's able <laughs> yeah. to just like play like literally one of the best receivers the NFL's ever seen. And like he just ate McDonald's all day. And where Brandon yeah. Marshall, Brandon Marshall on that interview talks a lot about like, hey, like when we get here, when you get to House of Athlete, you got to start eating right. You have to start prioritizing your body as like this temple. And you see the NFL players too, a lot of players taking to that right. I was talking to, aiden hutchinson recently no caffeine no sugar no gluten like these guys are treating their bodies like superhuman levels right i guess how much how much do you buy into that you know like can you have a cheat meal and still be you know one of 64 receivers that start in the nfl right like you have to be a legitimately rare human being to go be a receiver in the nfl i think it makes sense
2: to you know cut out the mcdonald's i don't know Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in college, I, I ate all that, all the fast food, McDonald's, uh, Popeye's, all that stuff. But, I mean, we're young. I mean, I'm young, so uh, it didn't really hit me a lot until, like, later in college, my senior year. Uh, then I got here. I feel like uh, I've been I've been having a lot more energy uh, mm-hmm. just going into the workout. And even after the workout, I feel like I have a lot of energy. So uh, just eating, eating better, eating the greens, eating the stuff they give us, uh, rice, potatoes, uh, salmon. Uh, just starting to eat better. And I I definitely feel it uh, changing my body.
0: I was talking to a player recently, a guy who's playing for the draft. I don't remember the name. I I don't, I don't remember which one I talked to some of these guys, but He said, get to eat right. And you have to sleep right. Once you get into the NFL. And if you don't do that, it's going to be so difficult. So I'm not not surprised by that. (laughs) Um, One more question for you. And then I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time, you know, in this pre-draft process so much is made of the combine and pro days and all that stuff your athletic testing but another big part of this too is meeting with these NFL teams and sitting down with them and going over the X's and O's and them finding mm-hmm. out about who you are both on and off the field in those meetings right what is your goal in terms of what do you want them to know the most about you right what do you want them to know about Chris Olave when they come out of these meetings more than just know your football prowess and how good you are in the football field they've seen the tape right well when they sit down with you what are you hoping they take away
2: uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely know who I am as a football player, but most importantly, I want them to take away just who, who I am as a person. Uh, I feel like I, I treat everybody the same, and I always want to uh, talk to talk with new people or whoever it is, if it's the head coach or, or the janitor. So uh, I feel like I treat everybody the same, and I want them to know that. And, uh, just go in there and with positive energy and good vibes.
0: Hell yeah, man. Love that. Well, I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward.
2: Yes, I appreciate it. Thank
0: that's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I think we might be doing some remote episodes moving forward. Mike is on the road going to Florida, Disneyland with his family. So we might it's be doing world. some remote podcasts um, in the near future. But and make sure you get your mailbags in, your speak pipes in. We're going to be definitely doing the podcast episodes as we move forward. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. <laughs>